I don't get the craze of meeting a celebrity. I've met a few in my time and I live by the code that celebrities are just people. People with interesting jobs, sure, but people who don't need another person annoying them when they're eating their dinner. Here's the thing about people though. Some people are monsters. They come in all shapes and sizes with all unique quirks and flaws and fantasies. You might not know anyone who has legitimately fantasized about murdering or raping, but using the six degrees of separation method, there's a pretty good chance you know someone who knows someone who has. Even normal people who've never stepped a foot wrong in their life, some of them have crazy ideas, crazy fantasies. They could be someone you know, and you'd never know what was inside of their head. Let me restart this. Celebrities aren't people. What am I saying? They're people with power. Real power. Because fame is power. It gives you access to situations normal people will never have. Some people with power can't handle the responsibility of that power. They crumble, many take to drugs, many commit suicide. Some thrive with the power. But with the ever-growing fame, they become more disconnected with reality, almost alien to the human species. I would bet money that megastars, let's say, I don't know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, or even a singer, someone like Justin Bieber, they would have no idea how much a carton of milk costs down at the shop. They've become excluded from real life, and so does their mind. This is okay as long as their mind is sane. And that brings us to the third group of famous powerful people. People who don't crumble, they thrive, but unfortunately in their mind, they have these fantasies, twisted sadistic fantasies. Fantasies they probably would just bury if they were a normal person. But due to the power that they've been given, these fantasies can become real. This is a horror story. A truly sadistic, hard to listen to horror story about a rock star turned monster named Ian Watkins. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. The sound. Listener discretion advised, I'm not saying this lightly, I wanted to write this story a while ago, and then I researched it, and some of the details are so horrific, it made me not want to write this story. Ian Watkins was the frontman of emo metal hardcore rock band Lost Prophets. The band began in 1997. After a string of EPs, they released their debut album, The Fake Sound of Progress, in 2000. The album went on to sell half a million copies. They toured extensively, supporting Linkin Park and the Deftones, and of course the major festival circuit. Their follow-up album Start Something would debut at number 4 in the UK, and top 40 in several other countries. They became a sensation in the UK, multiple Kerrang awards, and internationally the band were being recognised. They continued to grow. In 2006, the album Liberation Transmission debuted at number 1 in the UK charting all around the world. And in 2008, they were headlining Download Festival. 
a feat that not even Green Day or Foo Fighters or Nickelback have ever achieved. That year, the Friday and Saturday night headliners were Kiss and The Offspring. Lost Profits in 2008 were one of the biggest modern rock bands in the world. They had well and truly made it, with a swarm of adoring, loyal, trusting fans who would do anything for their favourite band. And this is where the backstory of the band's success ends. They do continue on to great heights after this, but around 12 months before their headline appearance at Download Festival, things began to change. It's January 2007. A girl by the name of Joanne Majelix contacts the band on MySpace. To her surprise, the megastar frontman Ian Watkins replies. They organise to meet up at his hotel room in Leeds before the band's concert. The couple begin a regular sexual relationship. As the couple's relationship grows and Ian Watkins begins to feel more comfortable around Joanne, he begins to talk about his fantasies. About taking the virginities of underage fans, some of them as young as 14 years old. And then this. And he'd also been saying that he wanted to get me pregnant. He wanted to get me pregnant just so that he could abuse the baby. Obviously, this was enough for Joanne to want to go to the police. But such is the wealth and power of famous rock stars. Before Joanne went to the police, she was presented with a gag order and encouraged under duress to sign it. She signed the gag order, essentially silencing her from taking anything to the media. Strangely, Joanne continued to see Watkins and strangely, Watkins continued to bring up his twisted ideas. Now gag orders stop you from selling the story to the media, but it doesn't stop someone from reporting a crime. And in January 2009, Joanne took the matter to South Wales Police. She didn't just come with a story either. She came with a photo that Ian Watkins had sent to her. A photo of a four-year-old girl holding a rolled up 20 pound note and a photo frame with powder on it, with what Watkins had bragged was cocaine. She also took the matter to social services in hope that someone would take her seriously and look into this. Now, Joanne is a sex worker by trade. A sex worker that had already signed a non-disclosure form on this matter, basically saying that her claims were untrue. Whether these things factor into the police's response is unclear, but no real investigation is taken from the claims despite the photographic evidence. It takes three more months for the police to even interview Joanne and then conclude there was no grounds for more investigation. The police didn't even interview Ian Watkins over these allegations. By late 2009, Ian Watkins had began experimenting with hard drugs. Crystal meth became his drug of choice, a radical change as only a few years earlier he didn't even drink. Joanne had not spoken with Watkins for several months, but thinking maybe she was wrong about the allegations, she decides to contact the now drug-fueled frontman. The couple decide to meet back up in another Leeds hotel. Watkins seems like a changed man at this stage, but not in a good way. His thirst for adventure and his sadistic mind had taken him further than ever before. 
and after some drugs, probably feeling invincible after the lack of police attention from the allegations, Watkins decides to pull out his laptop. What he shows Joanne next is horrific. An underage Lost Profits fan being raped by Ian Watkins. He's sat there and he's just staring at me. With that is evil smirk on his face. Because he wanted a reaction. And uh, I could just feel the tears. And I'm, I'm thinking at the same time. Oh my God, I wasn't wrong about him. I wasn't wrong about him. And at the same time in the head, I'm thinking, I've got to report him again, but I can't report him again because what am I going to say? He's got this video on his laptop. He's just going to hide the laptop like he hid everything else. Incredibly, Joanne doesn't take this straight to the police. She feels like they won't believe her. She doesn't have the physical proof and it's her word against the biggest rock star in the UK. She can't hashtag me to the complaints because of the gag order. But luckily, Joanne is not the only one. Several months later, the South Wales police received new reports. This time from Metro Police. Another woman has come forward with allegations. The police open another investigation but not much gets done. At this stage, Lost Profits, they're in LA. And again, the police don't even interview Watkins. But by now, the singer is getting more reckless. He sends Joanne more images, new children being raped by him. Almost like he's bragging about it. He tells her these children, their parents are just obsessed, junky Lost Profit fans. But now armed with the physical evidence that should bring down the pedophile, Joanne returns to the South Wales Police. She's taken to the exact same detective sergeant that dismissed her previous allegations. Astonishingly, her evidence is not even looked at. The investigation goes no further. Years pass, and while Joanne stays in contact with Watkins, she does so more to try and bring him down. She looks for other women who talk to the pedophile on Twitter. She starts conversations with these women, trying to find anyone with similar experiences. She meets one girl from Doncaster, who admits Ian Watkins wants to rape her child. Joanne begs her to tell the police. The woman doesn't. Weeks later, Lost Profits are in London for a concert. After the show, Ian Watkins, the mother Joanne had contacted, and her child go to the hotel, where they film Ian Watkins trying to rape the one-year-old baby boy. The next morning, Watkins has a full day of media commitments, interviews with radio and TV, He's completely normal despite his monstrous activities he'd done just hours before. It's now 2012, four years after the first known abuse on children from Watkins and the hardly investigated case is about to break open. Not because of new allegations, they continue to come in from multiple police agencies and unidentified women, no, the break in the case turns out to be nothing related to rape and child abuse. It is a drugs possession charge. 
In September 2012, Ian Watkins is arrested for drug possession. Critically, with the arrest, the police seize his laptop. He is released on bail for the drug charge, but this doesn't seem to bother him. He continues to contact the most loyal of his female fans via email, coercing them into giving up their children in order to rape them. He continues to openly brag about raping children to Joanne. Joanne at this stage, she's determined to put Watkins in jail. That was the Lost Prophet show in Newport on November 14th, 2012. It is the last time Ian Watkins will ever take the stage. Weeks later, Ian Watkins, along with two women who were not identified, are arrested for multiple child abuse offences, including the rape of a one-year-old baby. A year later, all three are sentenced and sent to prison. The two women are not identified to protect their children, who are too young to know what has happened, but will grow up without a mother. These women were Lost Prophets superfans, who willingly gave up their babies to Ian Watkins for the purpose of drugging and raping them. On Watkins' first day in jail, he contacts a female fan via the prison phone and tells her no real harm has been done. All of this was just for the mega lols. The detective sergeant who didn't investigate is now being investigated himself, not only for the Ian Watkins case, but a second rape allegation on an underage girl. It is found that the investigations were not conducted properly or in some cases, not conducted at all. Several years into Watkins' 35-year sentence, he's caught with a mobile phone in prison and sentenced to another 10 months. The phone was encoded. The code to unlock the phone was I fuck kids. Lost Profits could have been the next Linkin Park. They were well on their way to that level of worldwide success. Ian Watkins thrived with his fame and the power that it brought. He was undone by his twisted mind. One day, those kids will find out the reason that they don't have mothers. And that's why this crime is so disgusting. The whole fame creates power in musicians and movie stars. It's entwined in the human species now. We idolize everyday people who've created a specific thing. It's weird. We don't idolize the guy who made the table or the TV, but the guy who made your music, he's a superhero. If he or she writes on your arm, you get it tattooed on your arm to remind yourself of that time that person touched you. In the case of rock stars, they're probably no more talented than the next musician who creates the exact same specific thing, but we idolise the one that got super lucky at some point. Most famous rock stars were lucky to get their break. They weren't extraordinary, they weren't adapted to power. 
they weren't any better than the next guy before they were offered more money and more freedoms to do exactly what they were already doing. It's not like sports stars where the best rise to the top. The difference between playing a half-empty pub and becoming a world-famous rock star could be something as simple as sending your demo on a Monday instead of a Tuesday. Noel Gallagher of Oasis, he was a roadie. Ozzy Osbourne worked in a meat factory. Kurt Cobain, he was a janitor. Ian Watkins, he was a graphic designer. You wouldn't blink an eye if the news told you some graphic designer from the valleys in South Wales had been charged with child abuse and rape. Collectively, as a population, we promote everyday people to the very top tier of power. Rock stars are people too. And people are monsters. Is it all you expected and more? Way beyond my wildest, wildest dreams. What was the highlight? Kids. Um, and women. Mm -hmm. Old ladies kissing. Dreams. What was the highlight? Kids. Dreams. What was the highlight? Kids. Um, and women. Mm -hmm. Old ladies kissing. Well, there you go. I'm glad you enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thanks for making our dreams come true. Dream completed. The sound.